Part One, Chapter Three of Our Own Set by Osip Shubin, translated by Clara Bell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Part One, Chapter Three. Princess Vulpini, who had not escaped the fashionable complaint, the Morbus Schliemanniensis, had found a treasure no further off than in an old clothes shop in the Via Aracueli where she had bought two wonderful shields from designs she was assured of benvenuto cellini's and a fragment of tapestry said to have been designed by raphael and she had invited a few intimate friends trön sempali von klinger and count siegburg an austrian attache to give their opinion as to the genuineness of her find she was Troin's sister and a few years younger than he she had met prince vulpini at vichy when spending a season there with her invalid father and soon afterwards had married him and now for twelve years she had lived in rome loving it well though she never ceased railing at it for sundry inconveniences was always singing the praises of vienna and would have all her shopping done for her at home because she was convinced that nothing was to be had in rome but photographs antiques and wax matches the company had just finished a lively dinner throughout which they had unanimously abused the new italian ministry but with the arrival of the coffee and cigarettes they turned to the consideration of the princess's antiques which she had spread out on the floor for inspection the gentlemen threw themselves on all fours to examine the arras and the shields and pronounced their verdict with conscientious frankness no one it seemed was thoroughly convinced of the authenticity of the treasures but the countess marie Schalingen, a lady who had been for some few weeks in rome as the princess's guest all the others had doubts the most vigorous sceptic of them all was count siegburg who to be sure was the one who knew least of such matters but who nevertheless spoke of electrotype casts and modern imitations with supreme decisiveness Wips, or more correctly wiebrecht siegburg was the spoiled child of the austrian circle i doubt whether he could have invented gunpowder have discovered america or have proved that the earth goes round but for a workaday company he was certainly pleasanter than schwartz columbus or galileo he had been attached to the embassy with no hopes of his finding a career but simply to get him away from vienna where his debts had at last become inconveniently heavy his widowed mother after much meditation had hit upon this admirable plan for checking her son in his extravagance you make me quite nervous siegburg said the princess at length though i know that you have not the faintest glimmering of knowledge on the point perhaps you are right he answered coolly at any rate i have lost confidence lately in my critical instincts i always used to think that the genuineness of antiquities was in proportion to their dirt but now that i have learnt that even the dirt is counterfeit i have lost all basis of judgment they all laughed at this confession 
not so much for its wit as because everyone laughed at Siegburg's little sallies. They were in the smoking-room, a snug apartment, picturesquely and comfortably furnished with carved wood and oriental cushions. All the party were on the intimate terms of just ourselves, a mixture of courteous deference and hearty friendliness. The conversation was not precisely learned, on the contrary, there was a certain frivolity in its tone, very bad jokes were perpetrated, and some anecdotes related, savouring of St. Simon and raciness without anyone being scandalised, for they were not in the mood to run every jest on earth, to treat every point by chemical analysis, or take every word literally. Superficiality is sometimes a gracious and a blessed thing. I feel so thoroughly at home today, in such an Austrian atmosphere, exclaimed the hostess, but I have a presentiment that it will not be of long duration. Mesdames de Gondry and Ferguson are dining in this neighbourhood. As she spoke, the servant announced Prince Norina. Coming events cast their shadows before, quoted Sempali. It was well known that when Prince Norina made his appearance, the Comtesse de Gondry would soon follow. Norina was fat and fair, handsome on the barber's block pattern, and for the last four or five years had been dancing attendance on the French countess. He bowed to the princess, shook hands with the men, and was instantly seized upon by the master of the house to listen to a tirade on the latest misdemeanours of the government. Vulpini was the blackest of the black, a strong adherent of the Pope, though from political rather than religious bias, chiefly indeed as a fanatically exclusive Roman, who scorned to make common cause with Italy at large, and regarded Italia Unita as a wild chimera. Prince Norina, who had no political convictions, listened to him and nodded assent to anything and everything. The company now adjourned to the drawing-room, a large, uncomfortable room furnished in a motley style, partly Louis the Fifteenth and partly Empire, and which opened out of the more splendid salon in which the princess received formally, and to the boudoir to which none but her most intimate friends were admitted. The conversation had lost much of its liveliness, and had flattened to a level at which some of the company had taken refuge in photographs, when Madame de Gondry and Mrs. Ferguson were announced and rustled in. Madame de Gondry, a pale brunette, interesting rather than pretty, with a turned-up nose and hard bright eyes, noisy and coquettish, inconsiderate and saucy, because she fancied it gave her style, had for the last five years ruled the destinies of Prince Norina. Society had, however, agreed, perhaps for its own convenience, to regard their intimacy as mere good fellowship. The lady was looked upon as one of those giddy creatures who love to sport on the edge of an abyss. Mrs. Ferguson, the daughter of a hotel-keeper at San Francisco and wife of a man whose wealth increased daily, was the exact opposite of Madame de Gondry. White and pink, with large eyes and sharp little teeth, very slender and flat-figured like many Americans. 
she dyed her hair rouged dressed conspicuously spoke eccentric english and detestable french sang judic's songs and had been introduced to roman society by the marquesse b who had met her at nice her friendship with madame de gondry had begun on the strength of a landau they had hired between them had culminated in an opera box on the same terms and would probably be destroyed by a lover in common too a few gentlemen had also arrived count de gondry who looked like a hairdresser and was suspected of carrying on a covet business as dealer in antiquities Monsieur dieudonné crespigny de belancourt a square-built french diplomatist the son of a butcher and son-in-law of a duke etc etc the latest bankruptcy the climate of rome the excavations were all discussed madame de gondry and mrs ferguson submitted at first to the tedium of a general conversation but contrived at the same time to attract as much of the men's attention as was possible under the circumstances soon after eleven the countess ilsenberg came in she had come from a grand diner and looked bored to death it really is absurd how one meets every one in rome she said presently when she had been questioned as to the how and where of the party she had just quitted who do you think i came across to-day marie that lens girl from vienna now she is a duchess or a comtesse montidor heaven knows which once years ago i had something to do with a charity sale she got up so now she comes up to me as if i were an old acquaintance and pretends to be intimate talks of we austrians and at home at vienna amusing rather poor fritzy i feel for you exclaimed sempaly with a malicious laugh but there is a greater treat in store for you the sterzl women mother and sister are coming in a few days indeed that is pleasant certainly why asked madame de gondry throwing herself into the conversation are they objectionable people by no means said the countess quickly i believe they are the most respectable people in the world but it is a bore to be constantly meeting people here whom one could not possibly recognize in vienna you should give him a hint nicky tell him explain to him to be sure said sempaly laughing i might say look here my good friend beware of taking your mother and sister out anywhere my cousin the countess would rather not meet them the countess shrugged her shoulders and turned away from her flippant interlocutor tapping her fan impatiently do you mean to receive them marie she asked whom do i not receive said the princess in an undertone with a significant glance well i cannot decidedly not said the countess excitedly though i shall be grieved to annoy sterzl it will be his own fault entirely if he forces me to explain myself do as you think proper replied her friend but you know i am very fond of sterzl he stands high in my good graces what le paysan de danube giggled madame de gondry who had only partly understood the conversation sterzl is a man of the highest respectability said the countess icily 
she did not intend to allow that little french woman to laugh at her fellow-countryman though he was not a man of birth le paysan de danube is my particular friend said the princess with the simple heartiness that was so peculiarly her own i am very fond of him he is quite one of ourselves he can have no higher reward on earth said her brother with good-humoured irony when my small boy fell and broke his arm here in this very room sterzl picked him up and you should have seen how gently he held my poor darling added the princess that is ample evidence in favour of the fact that his womenkind are presentable laughed sempaly but allow me to ask interposed the madame de gondry just that i may understand what i am about these sterzls they are not in good society in austria our austrian etiquette can afford no standpoint for foreign society said Trun with unusual sharpness for he could not endure madame de gondry we receive no one who is not by birth one of ourselves yes said sempaly with a keen glance austrian society is as exclusive as the house of israel and scorns proselytes and the leather-seller's daughter who had not understood or not chosen to understand Troin's speech replied with much presence of mind ah i am glad to know what i am about siegburg who was sitting behind her glanced at sempaly and made an expressive grimace princess volpini looked almost spiteful i will not leave sterzl in the lurk she said and if his sister is like his description of her he has talked to you about his sister interrupted sempaly to be sure said the princess with a smile and to you too i should not wonder nicky no indeed he does not show me his sacred places i am not worthy replied sempaly he only told me that she was coming and with a very singular smile ha ha he seems to set a great store by the young lady and will no doubt look out for a fine match for her i should not wonder if he had got her here for that express purpose norina take care of yourself forewarned you know mademoiselle sterzl will hardly aspire to a prince's crown exclaimed madame de gondry up in arms to defend her property sterzl will not let his sister go for less asserted sempaly do not talk such nonsense said Trun, to check sempaly's audacity but sempaly was leaning over a table and scribbling on the back of an old letter presently he handed the half-sheet to the comtesse ilsenberg madame de gondry peeped over her shoulder capital she exclaimed delicious sempaly has sketched sterzl as an auctioneer the hammer in one hand and a fashionably dressed doll in the other with all the princes in rome crowded round in one corner he had written this lot fräulein sterzl once twice thrice the sketch was handed round the likeness of sterzl was unmistakable soon after the comtesse ilsenberg went away and as the company were not in the best of humours the two friends also withdrew shortly after midnight followed by those gentlemen who had come in their train fritzi is really a victim to an idea fixe 
the princess began when this indiscreet group had departed she wants me to entrench myself in dignified reserve against this poor little thing what harm can the child do to me i cannot imagine said siegburg indeed if she is pretty and has some money it strikes me i will marry her myself that will get matters straight siegburg was fond of talking of the money that his wife must bring in and liked to air the selfishness of which he was innocent as very rich folks sometimes make a parade of poverty and it was really very stupid of fritzi to ventilate his idiotic nonsense before those two women added the princess who was apt to express herself strongly but nothing that she said ever sounded badly on the contrary she lent a grace to whatever she said does she think she can make me turn exclusive i hope you observed how that pinchbeck countess was prepared to tread in her footsteps said siegburg Trein, meanwhile was hunting eagerly about the chimney-shelf and the tables assisted by the master of the house what are you looking for erich asked his sister for that sketch of Saint i should not like to leave the thing about excuse me nicky the caricature was capital i have nothing to say against it if it had only been among ourselves but you really ought not to have shown it to strangers you are so heedless you do not think of what you are doing and what have i done now asked sempaly without any trace of annoyance you have simply stamped this young girl as an adventuress on the lookout for a husband pooh as if so trifling a jest could be taken in earnest said sempaly they searched everywhere for the caricature but in vain i am convinced that wretched woman put it in her pocket cried the princess indignantly that wretched woman was of course madame de gondry it was true that princess vulpini was very fond of sterze and he returned her regard with almost rapturous devotion in spite of an unpolished and absent manner he had a vein of poetic chivalry and a pure reverence for true and lofty womanhood he could not think it worth his while to offer to any woman that flattery often impertinent enough in reality that gratifies some of her sex and he had never learnt the a b c of modern gallantry but in his intercourse with those whom he spoke of as true women there was a touch of chivalrous protection and reserved deference his behaviour to them was so full of an old-fashioned courtesy that he was certain to win their favour he treated them partly like children that must be cared for and partly like sacred beings before whom we must bow the knee immediately on his arrival in rome the princess found great pleasure in their acquaintance she confided to him all her little indignation at this or that grievance in rome and allowed him to take a variety of small cares off her shoulders being as all women of her soft nature are very fastidious and utterly unpractical there had been few sweeter girls in the vienna world than the comtesse marie Trein in her day and there was not now in rome a more lovable woman than the princess vulpini when in the afternoons she drove out in her open carriage 
with her four or five children that looked as though they had been stolen straight out of one of the kate greenaway's picture-books along the corso to the villa borghese her fashionable acquaintance who had brought out their most recent or most fashionable bosom friend instead of their children would exclaim here comes true happiness and the men bowed to her with particular respect eager to win the friendly and gracious smile that warmed all hearts like a ray of spring sunshine she had never been a regular beauty and had early lost her youthful freshness and the slim figure that had been almost proverbial nevertheless her charm was undiminished her chief ornament a wonderful abundance of bright brown hair was as fine as ever she wore it still and when a girl of sixteen simply combed back and gathered into a knot down at the back in spite of her faded complexion there was a childlike sweetness in her small round face with its kind little eyes its delicate turned-up nose and soft lips that had no beauty till they smiled all her movements were simple and graceful and her whole appearance conveyed the impression of exquisite refinement and the loftiest womanliness her dress was apt to be a little out of fashion the latest chic never suited her she was a great reader even of very solid books especially affecting natural science but she retained nevertheless the literal faith of her infancy and this innocent orthodoxy was part and parcel of the simple fervency of her character Sempali, who was sincerely attached to her always spoke of her devout piety as one of her most engaging qualities he declared that a woman to be truly sympathetic must be religious that a man may allow himself to profess free thought but that a sceptical woman was as odious as a woman with a hump to this observation which sempali once threw out in the presence of sterzl cecil took great exception though he himself was as devoid of religious beliefs as sempali himself he thought it impertinent men do not jest about the women whose names are sacred to them he said with the pedantic chivalry which always provoked his colleague's opposition however sempali only retorted with a sneering smile and a shrug End of chapter three